Hello and welcome to Mistakes Were Made with me, Chris Slowly, the editor of CityWire Selector. And me, Frank Talbot, head of investment research at CityWire. So no Alex Steger this week, a new team, a dream team of sorts, Frank. Uh... Pushing it. Let's see how we get on first, and then we'll maybe we'll add that at the end. Okay, so our guest today is Raphael Cassin, who is my co-host of the EM Insider podcast that I run on CityWire Selector, but more importantly, he is an emerging markets veteran. He's been in the industry for 30 years, working at Rail, Credit Suisse, Musenich, and most recently, Itihau. So, Raphael, what did you think of him, Frank? Before we get into it, we covered a lot of ground. Raphael is a, is a fascinating man. There is no topic he won't go to. There is no emerging market he doesn't understand or at least have a viewpoint on. Uh, it was it was a great chat. We covered so much. Without giving away the mistake that he makes, without selling the steak rather than the sizzle, we cover Argentina, Brazil, China, Russia. You're right. We seem to go all the way, all the way around the developing world. Uh, just, just for the record, Chris does know there are more than four countries in the developing world. Yeah, that's right. We also talked about Ghana at some point. So yeah, there's plenty. There are a lot of countries. But the point I'm trying to make is he is a man who's seen a lot of things, been through a lot of things, been through a lot of change. And um, yeah, that definitely comes across. Okay, well, here we go then. Enjoy Raphael Kassin. Our guest today is Raphael Kassin. So those of you who listen to podcasts across City World might know him from EM Insider, which me and Raphael put together. Those who've been in the industry for a while may also have crossed paths with Raphael as he's a quite familiar face on the EMD circuit. And he's phoning in from the sunny, sunny Brazilian seaside at the moment. How are you doing, Raphael? Hi, Chris. Hi, everybody. Yeah, it's great, man. Hope you're all doing well, too. Fantastic. Well, we start each episode with the same question. It's the, the context of the show. It's the same outline. What is or was your biggest investment mistake? And what did you do about it? Um, well, look, this is a really complex question because I have on a, an, on a professional level, uh, I, I definitely could say that I bought Argentina before they defaulted, even though it was very small amounts and it was when prices had already dropped quite a lot, uh, though they did drop a little bit more after that. Uh, so I, I would say it was that. Uh, on a personal level, without without being facetious, Raphael, which default? When because with this, yeah, the first which one. Which default? Okay, uh, the big sorry, one. sorry, the big one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, on a personal level, I interrupted you there. Uh, I bought some bonds of a company called Odebrecht in Brazil when they were trading at around thirty, thinking that these guys were going to eventually restructure and do something um, uh, acceptable, and they haven't. I mean, they've. They've really ripped everybody off and, and, and bonds and trading below 10 or around 10. Um, but it was, it was, again, it was, it was a, an amount that was worthwhile uh, and it was well diversified, but, but it, was, it was a disaster. Yeah. It, it was a disaster. How? Where, where did they go to? Well, in the end? they're trading around 10 or, or less. Uh, so I'm sitting on some bonds that are not moving in price. Uh, and they have no liquidity, and that has a that has a lot to do, I think, with the character of the company. Uh, you know, it's really important when you when you make an investment decision, you have to know, at least from my point of view, in bonds, right? You have to know that whoever owes you the money is is got the moral fiber to pay you back somehow, or at least to do things right. And with Odebrecht, it hasn't worked very well. Uh, the company is is not really recovering nicely and their restructuring was basically worse than Argentinian style provinces, you know, where they tell they put a gun to your head and say, take it or, or leave it. 
Um, while on the Argentinian case, which was my professional bet, I mean, remember Odebrecht is just a little little side play. And, and it's really important, I think, for an investor who deals in debt uh, to do these things, to feel on your skin, uh, you know, how the, the, the taste of, of a default, you know. Um, if, you, if you're just talking about something, but you haven't bought it, uh, it doesn't help. Now, on the professional level, I think obviously this is what you guys want to know about. Um, I mean, you're probably going to ask me if I do kite surfing or something like this, you know, but I don't. Um, I, um, you know, on the, on the professional level, I mean, the Argentinian story was fantastic because we were, our fund at ABN Emerald was growing and we, I, I saw that, that, you know, that at that moment, I, I, I think it was 2001, right? Uh, the situation in Argentina was deteriorating. Bond prices were dropping. The market was 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 obviously punishing them. Uh, but I thought it would be interesting to to pick up some bonds. And I can't remember the prices that I, I paid, but it was probably in, I, I can't remember honestly. Um, and and it turned out that having entered into the trade, uh, I started to get really involved in the discussions, the flows and managed to well of course they defaulted right uh but then as a result i ended up picking up a lot of the defaulted paper because i knew they were going to restructure um at ridiculously low prices and how the, did that play out rafael did you did that turn a, a loss into a win or did that compound the loss it, it was a fantastic trade i mean i entered into this uh bef well just before they defaulted with small amounts and then i i put if I remember, at least 20% of, of the portfolio into Argentina, right? But this is in hindsight, you know, with the hindsight of knowing, uh, of, of getting a, a, an educated guess that they would restructure. And then when they restructured, that I would get paid properly. Now, this is a very interesting point. In the old days, there were kind of, there were rules uh, on restructurings, what you did, what you didn't do as an investor and as a creditor or a debtor, right? Uh, and that, and, and so it was really easy to read that. That's why folks like, you know, uh, Mar uh, like, like folks at, at uh, um, you know, Mark Coombs at, at Ashmore have done well because they knew exactly how to play that game. And, and I, I knew how to play it. So well, still, hopefully I still know. Rules have changed a bit, but but that's how it was. So so the idea was really to understand the dynamics of the restructuring, and where you were in terms of pricing, and where you were gonna get in the end, and if you're gonna make money. And so I, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say because one thing we're always keen to understand is the lessons that were learned, and it sounded like you had a plan going into it. But were there lessons that you took coming out of it as well that you've used so that mistake doesn't happen again? Well. Look, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I think the, the concept is for every investment that you make to be risk weighted and for you to understand the concept of diversification, right? I think when you understand that, and, and so it's a lot easier for an investor to buy 10% uh, of his portfolio into a bond or of a country that has defaulted and is trading at 10, than it would be for him to buy it at 80, right? Or at 90. So, so I think the essence is to, is to pick up that knife as it stops, as it's just stopping the drop. This is the most difficult decision. And I, I guess in the Argentina case, 
it worked right for for me. Do you think uh, as a seasoned emerging market debt manager that it's easier to make a mistake than make a right call in your area? Uh, yes, it's very easy to make a mistake because in the old days, you could get information and information moved quite slowly. Um, these days, information moves really quickly. So you have to be very fast. Um, another interesting element is that in those days, people were more willing to take risk. There wasn't that much of an institutional framework of compliance. Uh, I, I had a chat the other day with, with a, uh, somebody who was you know, one of my, my colleagues. And, and he said, look, I, I would not touch this credit because just the fact that there is one single negative comment about the country in the press might mean that an investor is going to try to sue my company because I bought this into the portfolio, right? Or my compliance people will come to me and question me why I'm doing this just because Joe Schmo in, in, in Zimbabwe has said that, you know, this, this, uh, this is a bad investment. So, so, so in the old days, you could take these risks if you, you know, if you wanted to, and you, and you were rewarded for them. But these days, it's very tough. Is that is that a clash of the speed of information with the illiquidity of the market? Yeah. It, well, okay. It's it's that, and it's the fact that these days you can buy an ETF, right? And if your ETF gives you what you want, why would you give your money to a fund manager who? doesn't beat the index and charges you fees for it. So I think this, this is a really interesting point. You know, the, the market has evolved in a way that the cowboys, if you could call that, um, they, they have been forced to, to, to go into the, into the sheriff's office and, and drink water instead of whiskey in the, in the saloon. Do you think, uh, like thinking about what's going on in the market right now, situation in, in China, um, lots of people have been plowing into Chinese credit and you've got the Evergrande issue that's happened. Do you think people are, are aware of the pitfalls that might be there in that market? I mean, they're, they're lured in by the yields, but the risks. Yeah, Frank, this is a, this is a great question. And you, you're, I'm going to keep saying that because you keep bringing good questions. Um, you're trained. You're, good, you're well-trained, you know. Um, don't, don't I paid him for that. This <laughs> yes. Don't encourage him, Raphael. Well, look... Um, Let's okay. Let's let's look back at where I came from, right? So I started running emerging debt in 1998. I traded before, uh, and then I stopped in 2011. Uh, and then all since then, I've been writing for for CityWire. I've been investing my own money. I've been doing some consultancies, and then I came back to the market. And my first reaction when I came back was, "Wow." There is a wall of money coming into local Chinese uh, bonds. And interestingly, a, a huge proportion of those was government owned. So you, you'd have to be a corporate specialist, but also a mix of, of that and a sovereign specialist. Um, and I think that, that it w the market over there was running very wild for a long time. I mean, I, if you talk to, to folks who, who deal with flow of funds, uh, they, they tell you, look, the only game in town is China local. Uh, and, and my reaction in-house was, hmm, maybe this is a little bit too much, right? We should probably be a little bit more careful. Maybe we don't have the expertise. We don't speak Chinese. 
and and who do you know who to tr- how do you know who to trust right uh, so I had that feeling and yields were extremely low so I would say yes that's that's been a strange story so then comes Evergrande right uh, and now funny enough Evergrande has just supposedly uh, paid for their coupon uh, so so imagine we've had a roller coaster month in which we were all the way down on the ground and then all of a sudden who knows how they've come up with money and they've paid so so it's a very do you think the state stepped in there uh, they may have i think it's a, it's a this is what i mentioned in the last em insider it's not a transparent market and and so it's very difficult to know if if a bad bet is going to go bad or if it's just going to sling you know back to to profit you talked Raphael, about the need to taste a default I thought that was a really nice way of putting it and, and the fact that most markets go through this. Is this China's turn? Or do you think there'll be a lot of people who this will be their first instance of a proper default? I am sure there are. In fact, as I said, you know, as I told you, when I came in, I thought this is a train in which at some point there's going to be a crash. And when there's a crash, in, given market conditions, you know, people being so worried about risk, compliance and all of that, I am sure that there are a lot of corporate people out there who have been telling everybody that they're experts on China who are going to suddenly have a little problem that they've lost money in Evergrande and then there's going to be outflows and as a result you're going to have contagion you know we've seen some of that so yeah I, I'm sure it's it's an interesting moment we don't try and keep this completely on what the mistakes were we also give the guests an opportunity to talk about their investment victories it sounded like Russia played out particularly well for you over that time period but what would you say is your greatest investment call if we've already heard your your greatest investment mistake? Well, you're you're definitely boosting my ego, uh, and this is going to be the chance for me to make the comment that I I often I, I make in Brazil, and you know now I'm in Brazil, and I I get people here to sometimes uh, you know open their eyes quite wide. Um, I think I invested in Brazil twice. Uh, once was it was just accidental. Uh, and the second time was uh, when C-Bonds, I don't know if you remember that, uh, you're very young for that, uh, when C-Bonds, which were the, some, one of the Brady bonds, uh, was trading at around 46 and a half, right? This is, I believe, in 2002, when Lula was about to become president in Brazil or had just become president. And the reason why Brazilians... You know, look at look funny at me when I say that is, I, I learned from a friend uh, that you should never mix uh, nationality with investment decisions, right? Um, I once bought a Brazilian euro bond, the first Brazilian sovereign euro bond, and and my my partner in those days who sat next to me turned to me and asked me, why are you buying Brazilian euro bonds? And I said, well, I am Brazilian. I was very very green in those days. And he said, well, you are an idiot because, you know, it's it has absolutely no no relationship with your your job. And then I realized that that was true. So I've I've come to look at Brazil with an extreme lens uh, because I, I don't want to be wrong uh, with that nationality uh, 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 attached to me. Going back to sea bonds. Right. So I was on a trip in Hong Kong to see clients in 2002 and 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 c bonds went to 46 
And I thought, well, Brazil is not going to default. And then Lula came to power and said, and, and everybody was scared because he was, before he became president, he was totally left, you know, lefter than left. Um, and I mean, he was worse than Corbyn by, by a mile, okay, or many miles. And, um, and, but he was a man with a vision and he brought in some, a very talented team uh, on the finance, finance side. So, and he had a plan, a good plan. He realized after he got elected that there was no way that the right hand would, the left hand would, would be able to, to function without the help of the right hand. So he turned a little bit more centric and he, he, he looked like he was going to do all the right things and he did it in his first term. So when I saw C-Bonds trading at 46, I thought, I thought, well, you know, the, the usual talk in the market was don't touch this, you know, it's, and I thought, well, what is the likelihood that Brazil is going to default? And, and I didn't see that happening. And I only saw a, a positive way going forward with Lula having taken that tack. So, so I bought C-Bonds and I, they went to par and I wish we still had C-Bonds because they were an a great instrument to trade. But anyway, that's 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 a good a good story, you know. So you made a significant chunk on that. We made a significant chunk, and and this is again an interesting point. You know, you mentioned earlier, you know, what do you do, right? I mean, the the concept is for you to not have a lot of a of a credit before the default, but to maybe have some so you've got skin in the game, and then when it defaults and you think it's going to be a, a nice restructuring, of course you need to do your psychological analysis, then you, you, you pile up. And I think I had probably 20 to 30% in Brazil in 2002. Slightly different question here from me. If, if, if I'm just starting out in emerging market debt investing today, I'm a new fund manager, what would you tell them? Three like rules that they need to stick by that'll, that'll save their ass? Well, the first one is the one that I, you know, I read an article once by a US manager uh, who used to be big. I'm not sure how big they are anymore. So I stopped following them once I read that. And they said, you know, I, I work from my office in upstate New York or Connecticut. I, I, I never travel anywhere. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So you have never been to an emerging market other than your trip to, you know, on the, to the Caribbean on a vacation with your wife and dogs and kids. Um, and unfortunately, you have never felt, you know, the, the, the the danger of being uh, I'm gonna throw this this is funny of being in Russia uh, hunting for birds in the middle of nowhere uh, with people with uh, gold teeth uh, and guns next to you um, if you've never done that you don't understand the culture of the country try to have a a good source of research because when you talk to the sell side you have to understand that the sell side is out there to sell bonds, right? They're doing research, but but it's a little bit like stocks. I mean, you're going to believe every every stock research report. So I would say that there's there are a lot of good people on the sell side. Uh, try to learn how to work with the good ones uh, and understand which ones are giving you the right the right call, you know, because that's really, really important. And ultimately, and why do I say that? Because ultimately, the decision comes down to you and not the research report. And then finally? Yeah, I would say you need to be, uh, you need to think medium to long term. 
which is what a lot of people these days, you know, as I said, they shoot first, they ask questions later. Uh, I see bond movements uh, that, that don't make any sense. So I'd say be patient with your investors' investments because a lot of the things that you do, they will go down uh, before they go up. A lot of things you buy. And you have to understand that that's normal. So there we are, Raphael Cassid. Quite a few things to pick up there, Frank. What did you pick up and what was the main thing that leapt out for you? I think I think there were a couple of things that really, really leapt out for me. The first of which I hadn't heard anyone really vocalize this, a manager, is the the trying to fight your bias to to invest in your home market the fact that he's been around as long as he has and he's only touched brazilian fixed income twice is astonishing yeah i think whoever did uh, if i got it right they branded him an idiot at the time i think that lesson really stuck with him so yeah it's interesting that that has played out over such a long career what was the other thing you said there was a couple of things that jumped out i think the other thing for me was that i I put these words in his in his mouth but it was great to hear him talk back is the fact that the scope for mistakes in emerging markets is almost greater than making the the right call and also the fact that it's become a more challenging environment due to the speed of information that information flow aspect that really stood out for me the fact that it seemed to be an easier place to play when less people knew about it and now there's so many data points it actually makes his job harder he said so be interested to take that back and speak to some other emerging market managers and see if they agree or he just fears that etfs are going to eat the edge and that was mistakes were made with me chris slowly the editor of city selector and me frank talbot Thank you.